Good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you've got a Bible, go to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. While you turn there, let me say happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms. And you know, if there's one thing that I know that you struggle with, moms, because uh, I think any parent struggles with this at, from time to time, is that feeling like you're a failure, like you don't live up, like there's so much more that you could do as a mom, as a dad. And this morning, God has brought us to a point in the book of Jonah uh, where I believe God will give to you a message of hope. That regardless of how many times you feel like you have failed as a mom or you have struggled as a parent, uh, God's grace is sufficient for you. And so I pray God's hope in your life this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 3. Let's look here. We've been going at a fast pace the last couple of weeks, so we're going to slow it back down a little bit and look at just the first three verses of Jonah chapter 3. So if you're able to stand, I'll ask you to do so for the reading of God's Word. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, I do ask that you would meet us here this morning um, through your spirit It's been such an incredible time of worship as we've been thinking about your grace and, Lord, truly how amazing it is. So would you come, work in our lives, God, help us see afresh your redemption. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Americans love a winner, will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war. Because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Those are the words of George C. Scott in the opening scene of the movie Patton. And he's right. We love winners. We love being winners. We love being around winners. We love it when our team, when our political candidate, when our child wins. We even have television programs where the biggest loser is somehow the winner. (laughs) And we not only love winning, We can't stand losing. We call second place the first loser. When America wins the silver, it just doesn't feel the same. Dear friends, you know this well. We live in a culture where whether it is sports, relationships, finance, our vocation, beauty contest, we celebrate success. We love a winner. It's probably why so many Christians were outraged several years ago when media icon Ted Turner said publicly that Christianity was for losers. 
Now, he stepped back from that comment and apologized, but when he said it, Christians were outraged. There was this sense that even Christians did not like to be called a loser. I mean, after all, we've got Kirk Cameron on our side from Growing Pains, right? We're cool. You know, we've got Tim Tebow in the NFL at least for two more months or, you know, whatever. Or Tony Dungy. We got Hollywood. Man, we got Mel Gibson, I think. I don't really know. Or Denzel Washington. We've got Lady Gaga. I'm just kidding. We don't have Lady Gaga. Uh, no, no, not so much. But we've got celebrity Christians. Man, call us anything you want, but don't call us a loser. But it's interesting when you come to the Bible, it paints a different picture. Jesus is rebuked by the Pharisees for eating with losers, social outcasts. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, here is his reply. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Paul writes to a church in Corinth a place of intellectual and philosophical superiority, this. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not to bring to nothing those that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Translation, according to Jesus and the Apostle Paul, Christianity is for losers. Does that rub you the wrong way? That may run against your American psyche, but it's exactly what we find in Jonah chapter 3. If you've been following this story at all, you know by now, by all calculations, Jonah is a loser. He has been running from God. He has wrecked his life. He has ruined his ministry. He has threatened the lives of others by his own behavior. God has to intervene in his life on multiple occasions. And last we left him, he was on the Mediterranean shoreline covered in fish vomit. He is a loser, capital L. You're not going to find his name on America's up-and-coming prophets. His high school class isn't going to vote him most likely to succeed. He is the poster child of a spiritual and vocational loser. But notice verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. What? Did I read that right? Is that what your Bible says? God comes to Jonah the second time? You mean to tell me that God, who was unobligated to give Jonah one opportunity, is now giving him a second one? Why? 
God must be desperate. God, I mean, Jonah must be so important, so talented, so amazing that God just needs him. Let me remind you of what Acts chapter 17 says. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Faith family right here. God does not need Jonah. So why does he come to him a second time? I'm going to give you the deep theological answer. Because he wants to. Because that's the kind of God he is. When we finish this book in a few weeks, if you don't walk away with a deeper understanding of God's grace, you, beloved, have been asleep. Because the grace of God is everywhere. It is in a storm as God pursues a runaway. It is in the appointing of a great fish as God teaches Jonah that salvation belongs to the Lord. And here it is again in chapter 3 in the form of a second chance. Which raises this question, dear friends, where would you be if God only gave you one shot? What if God said, when it comes to belonging to me, one strike and you're out? What if he had a zero tolerance policy towards your sin? Where would Abraham be after he lied? Where would David be after the adultery? Where would Moses be after the murder? Where would Peter be after the denial? Dear friends, the Bible is not filled with stories of great people who had great talent. The Bible is filled with stories about a great God who used repentant sinners to do great things. We serve a God who, though he is unobligated to give you one shot comes again a second time. Several years ago in Britain, there was a conference for religious leaders of all different religions, and they came together and they were debating religious things. And one of the topics that came up was, what makes Christianity unique? And someone said, well, it's got to be the incarnation that God became flesh. That's not in any other religion. It's got to be the resurrection that that. Christ was raised from the dead. That's not in any other belief system. And then in walked a man named C.S. Lewis. And they asked C.S. Lewis, what makes Christianity unique apart from all the world religions? And he said, that's easy. Grace. And before long, everyone in the room was convinced that the fact that God would give his love freely goes against every human instinct. Dear friends, Buddha may offer you a path. The Hindu gods may offer you karma. Islam may offer you a system of good works. Only Jesus Christ offers you a second chance. Do you need a do-over? You need a mulligan? Do you need to go back to the starting line and run again? Do you need to renew the vows? 
I proclaim to you we serve a God of unwavering grace who comes to us a second time. But look at verse 1 again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Who? Jonah? I mean, dear friends, i got to be honest. At this point, I want to take my eraser and scratch Jonah's name out and write a different prophet's name in. I mean, let me put it this way. It's time for that long walk out to the pitcher's mound because it's relief pitcher time. This guy's throwing up softballs. He's given up home run after home run. Get this guy out of the game. If it were up to me, I'd revoke his profit certification. <laughs> you laugh, but you would too. You say you're being too hard on Jonah. No, I'm not. Imagine the thought that you were running a daycare. I'm going to let that set in for a moment. Some of you are like, I am. It's Mother's Day. <laughs> Imagine that you were running a daycare and you were... Uh, you had somebody come in that applied for a job and you were interviewing them. They sat in the, the chair across from you and you said, oh, okay, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you to see if I'm going to hire you. Tell me about your background. My background? I've been running from the police for about a year. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, tell me about your work ethic. My work ethic? I love to sleep in. My friends call me the sleeper. I mean, like, I'm late for work almost every day. Okay, one more question. Um, do you like kids? Kids? Ha, I hate them. <laughs> oh, listen, my idea of a good time is slapping a child just to watch her cry. <laughs> Would you hire them to work at your daycare? Of course you wouldn't. But dear friends, I've just described to you Jonah. Background, running from God. Work ethic, sleeper, late for work. Compassion, hates the very people he's called to serve. You'd scratch his name out too. You I know you did. You didn't say it. But deep within, you said, I wouldn't hire this person. Neither would I. So the fact that Jonah is still here in chapter 3 means two mind-blowing realities. Right here, faith family, it's this. God loves the messenger just as much as the mission. If this were only about Nineveh, if that was the only point, you would find another prophet's name here. But it's not just about Nineveh. The fact that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time means God loves Jonah just as much as he loves Nineveh. Let me tell you what that means for you, and I need you to hear this. What this means for you is that you are not just some means to an end in the kingdom of God. You're not some meaningless pawn in God's redemptive game of chess. And what that means is when God challenges you about giving, when God challenges you about serving, when God challenges you about witnessing, you've got to stop thinking, what does God want from me? And maybe consider that God wants something for you. 
that maybe it's not just about the ends, maybe it's also about the means. Maybe it's not just about Nineveh, maybe it's about Jonah. God loves the messenger just as much as he does the mission. And here's the second thing, and I'm really going to get excited about this, so just be calm. God has a future for repentant people regardless of their past. God has a future for repentant people regardless of their past. Did you hear that? He knows about the abortion. He knows about the affair. He knows about the anger you've had ever since the funeral. He knows every skeleton in your closet. And he knows, of, he knows every bone of every skeleton in your closet. But if you will repent and turn to him right here, he's not done with you. In the kingdom of God, failure is an event, not an identity. If you know Jesus Christ, your failures happened, but they don't define your future. Jonah is a repentant loser. And that's exactly who God's going to use to reach Nineveh. You see, dear friends, what qualifies you to serve the Lord is not that you've never failed and that your resume is squeaky clean. What qualifies you for serving God is that in your failure you find redemptive grace, healing grace. And in God's healing grace, you are prepared to serve. And it's at this point we have to stop and say, this, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is not how the world does it. It's not, is it? Think with me. The world promotes people who are all moving in the right direction. The best qualified. God uses people who used to be running in the wrong direction. Who look everything but qualified. The world will give the ball to the best player on the team for the last shot. God will give the ball to the guy who's bricked every shot in his life. Like, air ball, brick city, hasn't even touched the rim. And he will give him the ball for the last shot in the game when the team is down by one. Why? So that when it goes in, God gets the glory. When this story is over, if you've been following at all, Jonah will not get an ounce of glory. Ain't nobody in this faith family a few weeks from now when we're finished saying, I tell you that Jonah sure was an educated fella. <laughs> Nobody's going to say, can you believe his speaking ability? This guy's awesome. Did you see the conversion record under his ministry? There will be one name and one name only given glory. When this story is done, it is the name of God. That's why God does it this way. The exact opposite of the ways of the world. And he not only does it so that he gets the glory, and he only gets the glory, but that we learn humility. 
Look at verse 2 again. I want to show you this phrase. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And here's the phrase, the message that I tell you. The message that I tell you. Because I know you have the book of Jonah memorized by now, right? Um, Do you notice a difference in how God comes to Jonah the second time and how he came the first time? Go back and look at it. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Arise and go to Nineveh. That's the same. That great city, that's the same. Call out against it, that's the same. But then here's where it changes. For their evil has come up before me. Huh. In other words, the first time God gave the why. The second time he doesn't even mention it. All he says is this, go tell them what I tell you. In other words, Jonah, if there's one thing your failure has taught you, is that all I need from you is humble obedience. You don't need every question answered. Just go do what I've asked you to do. Because even though I love you as much as I love Nineveh, this mission's not about you, buddy. And your failure ought to remind you, even though it's not your identity, your failure ought to remind you that whatever God does through you isn't because of you. And so therefore, God gets all the glory, and we humbly serve whatever he has asked us to do. Now, I want to give about a 30-second to one-minute footnote to preach to the preacher. And here's why. That phrase, the message that I tell you, is a word to preachers. It is, I believe, the definition of preaching. Hear me, faith family, please hear me this morning. God did not call me here to grow this church, though praise God we are growing. God did not call me here to entertain you with funny stories and movie clips. Though we use those because I believe they're a great aid to learning. God called me here to tell you, thus saith the Lord. Because there will be no life change apart from direct interaction with the Word of God. I can fill a church with motivational speaking. I can get five stars on Facebook for telling you what you want to hear. But dear friends, gospel transformation only happens with the word of God. I'm not that good. The church of Jesus Christ across America is in the condition that she is in for a lot of reasons, but one of which is because preachers have turned preaching into personal pep talks. It is really this simple. Tell them the message I tell you. Please don't follow after your tickling ears. Go where thus saith the Lord is proclaimed. That was free. And if you were like, that was passionate, well just, who's the one in the room who has to apply it? I got to do this every week. And it is a reminder of what faithfulness is. But here's the real question that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time right here. What is it that you think disqualifies you? What is it that you think disqualifies you for the mission of God? 
Pastor, you don't understand, I've lost. Good news, you weren't intended to win. Pastor, I failed. Good news, God can turn your failure into ministry. Your sin is not bigger than the cross. The unwavering grace of God, a second time, comes to an undeserving prophet of God, Jonah, to do an unrealistic mission. Notice verse 2 again. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. Now, you got to see something here. When uh, the book started, there were two main players, apart from God, obviously, Jonah and Nineveh. When we come to chapter three, or chapter 3, there are two main players, Jonah and Nineveh. In other words, God's purpose hasn't changed. God is not like that parent who gives in because of the defiance, the continued defiance of their child. Right, parents? I've done that. They whine and whine and whine and whine, and finally you give in just so they'll be quiet. It's like I, I saw one morning on one of those talk show programs, they had an expert in parenting. He's going to be on the show and tell you how to handle your child when they throw a fit in the supermarket. What you need to do from the expert. He said, if your child in the supermarket wants cookie, starts throwing a fit, what you do is you get down on your knee, you get eyeball to eyeball with them, and you just repeat to them what they're saying. So you just say, I know you want a cookie. I know you want a cookie. I understand you want a cookie. I know you want a cookie. You just keep saying that over and over and over. Finally, when they calm down, buy them a cookie. I thought, you're an expert? That is a prelude to a future conversation. I know you want out of prison. I know you want out of prison. God is not a father who gives in to the defiance of his children because they want a different way. God's purpose for Jonah and God's purpose for Nineveh is still the same. And the purpose is to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and it is great. Population, over 120K. In the ancient Near East, over 100,000 was a major city. It would soon be the capital of Assyria. It was great in wickedness. It was great in violence. Do you remember a few weeks ago the cutting off of tongues and the chopping off of heads? What the kings of Assyria would do to foreign kings? And there is a sense in which if I'm Jonah, I'm thinking, yeah, me and what army? Have you ever felt like the task God had given you was too big? Tell me that's not an appropriate message for Mother's Day. Don't think I don't know what it's like to shut the door and wonder how in the world can I do this. I do that with pastoring. I do that with parenting. We live often with this feeling of it's too big. And here's God's response. You bet it is. The moment the task God has given you is something you can do easily in your own strength is the moment you're not serving God. Of course it feels impossible because it's not your mission. It's God's mission. 
So take comfort, faith family. Take comfort, moms. Take comfort, dads. Take comfort, Christians, not in the size of the mission, but in the size of the God who called you to this mission. You need to feel desperate. Arise and go to Nineveh, this great city. But, but it's not just great in terms of population and, and size. That phrase in the Hebrew literally reads, great to God. Great to God. What does that mean? Does God look down on Nineveh and say, I have never seen a city so big. I just am so impressed with Nineveh. No, here's what it means is that in spite of all Nineveh's wickedness, God is placing his missional love on Nineveh. God wants to reach this major city. And why does he want to reach this major city? Because if you influence the major cities, you influence culture. And if you influence culture, you influence the world. Because often culture comes out of major cities. So God has placed his missional love on this city of Nineveh. And dear friends, I cannot help but to think about our context. The Twin Cities Metro. An estimated 3.2 million people in the metro an estimated 3,100 churches, with an estimated 633,000 people who attend those churches leaving this. Get this stat. Approximately 2.5 million unchurched. Brian, I hope that we understand, like Jonah, that God has given us a mission that is impossible. Except by the power of God. People will look at me and say, you want to see our lives, our community, and our world transformed by the power of the gospel? Don't you think you've set your sights a little high? You bet I have. Because I believe, you want to know what I believe? I'll tell you what I believe because I'm, I don't tend to hold things back. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that if God can reach Nineveh through one single runaway prophet, God can reach the Twin Cities Metro through us. That's what I believe. I believe that if God would bring about a renewal and a revival of the gospel, that we are a part of a gospel movement that spreads out into the metro, that it can transform and make a dent for the kingdom of God. Absolutely, I believe that, and I wake up every day with new eyes for it. The mission seems impossible, and it should. Because God is calling us, and God, I pray that you would take this deep within us, to have a burning passion to do big things for a big God. This is totally free. We may just put a sign up at our front door, no sissy faith allowed here. Man, burn with that passion. Burn with that passion to do something big. Isn't this awesome? I sit back and I think, second chances for undeserving prophets to go do an impossible mission. 
I'm in. What a life, baby. What a life. And that's the life that he's called us to. So what is our response? We'll end with this, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now I read that and I kind of want to have a party for Jonah. Yeah, buddy, finally. It's been a long road, hasn't it? Been a long time since Joppa. But you finally got it right. That when the word of the Lord comes to you, the answer is always yes. The first time you ran, but now you obeyed. What is it that God has been calling you to do? What is it, dear friends, that you have been putting off and putting off and putting off? Some of you have been hearing the gospel proclaimed to you, but you have yet to bow the knee and trust Christ as your Savior. Today, the answer is yes. Some of you have been putting off baptism as a public identification of your faith in Jesus. Today, the answer is yes. Some of you resonate with this faith family. And God is calling you to join with us in a formal way of covenantal membership. The answer today is yes. Some of you need to reconcile with a family member. Because you've let a wedge tear you apart. Some of you need to share your faith with a co-worker. The answer today is yes. The late Rich Mullins wrote a song, and these were the lyrics. It said, the Lord is sure speaking to you, so set aside your pride and your anger too. To say the time is short just means the time is now. Every tongue will confess and every knee is going to bow. All right. Okay. Uh-huh. Amen. You can argue with your maker, but you know you just can't win. The unwavering grace of God comes to an undeserving prophet to do an unrealistic mission. And the response is yes. Friends, this passage is all about a sovereign God with a sovereign plan to bring salvation to a wicked city. And how is he going to do it? He is going to do it through a man who looks anything but qualified. And it won't be the last time God does it this way. For God will bring salvation into the world, and he will do it through a man who seemed anything but qualified, because he wouldn't show up in a palace, he showed up in a manger. He wouldn't be followed around by a rich and famous entourage, he would be followed around by a corrupt IRS agent, a traitor and some common fishermen. He would never wear the crown of American Idol. His was a crown of thorns. But God gave him a mission, 
a mission that one night in a garden seemed unrealistic and impossible. But he arose and he went to the cross and was crucified. And the Bible says that he was crucified in weakness. Do you know why? Because crosses are for losers. He didn't look like much in the eyes of the world, but he was obedient to the point of death so that the word of the Lord would come to you this morning a second time. Repent, and you will be saved. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news for a loser like me. Let's pray. Father, there are some in this room who know very much their failures. Would your grace come and bring healing in their life? There are some this morning who are needing that second chance. God, would you restore them? There are some in this room who have put off and put off and put off the things that they know that you are calling them to do. This morning I pray that their answer would be one simple word, yes, yes. Holy Spirit come, do your work, in Jesus' name, amen.